I'm Matt Sotman. And I'm Josh Widener. Which means you're listening to The Standard Issue. Powered by the Scolium Institute. Where new ideas are served fresh every day. Today's episode, Beats of Hypocrisy. An investigation into the hypocrisies of modern politics. Within the realm of American politics, there's an observable binary uh, that, that basically pits the wills of otherwise agreeable Americans against each other generating antagonist-protagonist relationships between those who happen to have different political beliefs. Uh, this binary uh, is <clears throat> it's responsible for, for basically creating this conflict, and it's, uh, it is a natural byproduct of the current two-party system that we have in this country. Uh, so basically, the, the party system, uh, you know, it, instead, of, instead of people just you know, going, getting together and having fun like a normal party, they decide uh, that these, this party basically consists of uh, heated debate, heavily monitored social representation, and ret- rhetorical manipulation, all in the attempt of edifying one group of politicians as the party that is right for America's perceivable future. In the advent of the party system's evolution, a contest of natural selection has resulted in the emergence of two dominant forces within the system over a passage of time, the Republican and Democratic parties. Though there are other parties that have existed in the United States throughout the nation's history, for example, the Red Too Damn High Party, the Green Party, the Whigs, Free Soilers, etc., the Democratic and Republican parties have gained such a prominence within American consciousness that their contesting opposition has forced a majority of U.S. citizens to pick a side alongside the political divide, making one answer the sometimes uncomfortable question, are you a Democrat or a Republican? Depending on the answer given to this question, and depending upon the predisposition of the questioner, a social narrative may be constructed around the answer giver, which ultimately will determine how the question asker perceives the answer giver's credibility. This uh, constructing of a social narrative, otherwise known as stereotyping, can in turn create the implementation of what is referred to as thought-terminating cliches. Uh, certain phrases or terms within a within a given rhetoric that causes an audience to cease paying attention to a source because the audience no longer wishes to identify with the source of the argument. Thought terminating cliches make a make a presented work appear fallacious, biased, or otherwise not credible given the framework of the audience's cultural experiences, even if the arguments being relayed or the evidence being implemented are of an otherwise sound nature. People on either side of the dichotomized party line can fall prey to the logic, to the, this logic-based trap that is the thought-terminating cliché, uh, causing Democrats to distrust Republicans on the sole nature that these individuals identify as Republicans and not as Democrats, and the Republicans not trusting Democrats only because the Democrats are Democrats and not Republicans. There are a few exceptions to this rule of distrust, see the presidency of Bill Clinton, but even these exceptions are not necessarily met with universal appeal, see the presidency of Bill Clinton. This rule of distrust also does not account for all members of either party system, uh, nor does it seek to make similar claims for all Americans at large, but it does make it apparent that there are particular qualities of each party frame that individuals deem as truth with a capital T, which inform how these individuals filter information that is encountered in their day-to-day lives through reductionist puzzle-based thinking, and that these capital T truths are mutually exclusive wherein information from one source cannot coincide with information from another without one source being perceived as invalid. This can be further explained with the following allegory. 
If a single piece does not fit within a puzzle, anyone can easily conclude that the factory that produced the puzzle must have made a mistake. It is, it's just as easy to conclude that because the piece does not fit, that single piece uh, is the mistake. Such a deduction is elementary logic, even to, even to one who does not, know, does not have the mind of Sherlock Holmes. Rarely does one question that the other pieces of the puzzle are the result of mishandling, uh, that, that, it, that it is these other pieces, the system as a whole, compose an interlocking series of mistakes. It's possible that the one piece that does not fit the framework of the, of the other pieces could be the only piece in that box that conformed to the original schematic set out by the puzzle's designer, while the rest may have been perverted by the human machinery that is perception. Yet, because these other pieces all interlock, and that single piece does not, it appears fallacious to any third party that the mistake could have uh, could be anything but that one piece's design. Perception is the manner through which individual reality is constructed. Without perception, there is no understood reality. A reality whose various processes can be known by those organisms that populate said reality through their everyday interactions. There is a reality without perception, but that is a reality in the absolute sense comprised by the ultimate sum that is the entire scope of history starting from an epoch before the advent of life and stretching on towards a possible ending of the universe. Every mystery unknown to humankind and every document lost to the passages of time comprises absolute reality. No one can change that fact. Even if an event uh, has not been or cannot be observed, this absolute reality cannot be denied without falling prey to solipsism, the philosophy that there exists nothing beyond the self. But... This abs absolute reality is not the reality that gives life meaning. The reality that is manifested by human consciousness, that gives words to objects, ideas, and other silent outliers of the human experience, transforming what might otherwise be an absurd coincidence, like the fact that uh, against our wills we are given the gift of life and forced to live in a world that cannot agree upon its creator, into purpose. Without a perceived reality... Everything that occurs within the course of existence has no meaning because there is not a meaningful context for which reality may be interpreted, meaning that the entire scope of human existence exists as senseless noise until context is given to filter these noises into a singular perspective. In other words, one may hear things, see things, read things, etc., but without an understanding of how to interpret and express what one hears, sees, reads, nothing can be gathered from the interaction. A woman who speaks only in Russian will gather no deep meaning from a phone conversation with a woman who speaks only Swahili without a person to ask, act as a translator on the line. A man who reads only in Japanese will gain no deep meaning from a book written by an American author in English without an aid to decode the text. A child who does not understand what rape is will not understand what is going on in a movie that depicts a woman being held against her will without someone explaining to the child what is going on in the terms that the child could best up comprehend. The nature of individualized reality, the understood reality, sidelines all that could be deemed as meaningless noise uh, so that there exists a reason for each and every aspect comprising human experience. Albeit on this too, uh, not everyone can agree what these reasons are, even if there is a lot of overlap regarding some of them. Political ideologies are one method that sideline this meaningless noise and give life a degree of meaning. They inform an individual what the nature of government is, what the social contract is that each member of society is expected to obey, and what is to become of these individuals who choose to transgress the social contract. The answers to these questions vary political party, and often within the official stance of each party, there is a present hypocrisy between what is verbally relayed to the public, 
via the party members themselves and the nature of the policies they wish to enact, and the member of these parties may not even try to be privy to the deceit hidden within their rhetoric. The Republican Party, known also as the Grand Old Party or the GOP, for example, is often identified as a proponent of small government. Uh, come across any ad or debate involving a Republican candidate near election season and be prepared to be bombarded with such mantras as we need to A, cut government spending, B, reduce taxes, C, deregulate government sanctions on American businesses, or D, stop giving out handouts, uh, you know, welfare, Social Security, that kind of thing, uh, or the SSI um, for disability. Uh, certain, uh, certainly they appear to, to be policies that would shrink the role of our government to a smaller size. So at first, one would suspect that there is no hypocrisy at all within the party's logic. The party claims it wants a small government, and certainly these policies would create a small government. But the situation is more nuanced than that, con uh, considering the role religion plays within much of the party's politics, despite the United, S United States' supposed secular separation of church and state. I mean, consider um, if you have, uh, I mean, the they want to have a ban on gay marriage. Uh, they want to tell people what, you know, what drugs you're allowed to use and you know, what you can put in your body. I mean, this is a Republican Party isn't exactly, uh, isn't exactly the, the small government, you know, people that, that they would like you to believe they are. They're, uh, it's more like small government as long as your beliefs align with their personal beliefs. Evidence of this can be found within the 2012 preamble of the Republican Party, written by the party's chairman at the time, Governor Bob McDonnell, and his two co-chairs, Senator John Hoeven and Congresswoman Marsha Blackburn, and it is paired with a sense of nostalgic yearning for better times. Josh, care to start us off? As we embark on this critical mission, we are not without guidance. We possess an owner's manual, the Constitution of the United States, the greatest political document ever written. That sacred document shows us the path forward. Trust the people, limit government, respect federalism. Guarantee opportunity, not outcomes. Adhere to the rule of law, reaffirm that our rights come from God, are protected by government, and that the only just government is one that truly governs with the consent of the governed. The principles written in the Constitution are secured by the character of the American people, President George Washington said in his first inaugural address, the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards eternal rules of order and right, which heaven itself has ordained. Values matter. Character counts. The preamble carries onward a few paragraphs more, but this excerpt alone illustrates a bundle of contradictions that make one question where the party truly stands. We see them elevate the Constitution, and say that they want a small government, but at the same time, we have this statement of respect federalism, and we're giving very vague statements wherein one could see that it seems like they're having the better interest of the people in mind, but at the same time, it does not necessarily mean that the people as a whole will be represented by them. After all, uh, one stereotypically thinks of the Republican Party, I, I, although this does not apply to all of its members, as usually being wealthier Americans. Usually it's that class of people who are in charge of businesses. I mean, after all, the Republican Party is very much associated with capitalism, very, very pro-capitalism. Yeah. And we're not attacking capitalism here. We're not even really attacking the Republican Party here. What we're doing is we're just looking at the ideologies and looking at how, because we have our views of the world shape by these various memes. 
these ideas of what it means to belong to this political party, we end up thinking one thing and not necessarily doing that thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll we should definitely we'll definitely have those in the like links where you can find the find the information here in the show notes because uh, it's actually a really interesting read. All of that stuff is, um, but you know, I mean, because the most important thing and the reason we're even doing the podcast at all really is just so that people will actually will read and do their own research <laughs> instead of just thinking, well, my parents are Republicans, so I should be a Republican. Or, or my church tells me I should vote this way or, or, you know, or whatever authority figure you happen to hold, um, you know, hold in high esteem. You should you should be looking at this kind of stuff on your own first and making sure that you actually agree with everything or at least the majority of the things that are actually going to be really done by the party, not just what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Because after all, this uh, the fact that there is this large focus on the middle class uh, within this uh, preamble. It mirrors in a lot of ways some of the things that are elevating right now from the Democratic Party for the upcoming election. Right. And honestly, if one just took out the fact that it says uh, the Republican Party, for the most part, one could read this and think that it's talking about the Democratic Party. Yeah. Like, like aside from taking – besides the points where it says limit government mm -hmm. and uh, talking about – the whole idea of our rights coming from God, it's very much democratic. Not to say that one cannot or would not be democratic and invoke some type of Christian morality. It's just, again, stereotypically speaking, the way the polit our politicians seem to play things out is that it tends to be the Republican candidates are usually invoking uh, this American exceptionalism, the idea that we are God's chosen, chosen nation, while the Democratic candidates tend to kind of focus more so in a secular side. Sure. Yeah, and uh, I mean, whenever you, uh, it's, it's actually really interesting, too, whenever you think uh, as, because you mentioned that the Republican Party is the one who invokes uh, invokes the Christian ideology a lot. Um, I, I, heard it, I heard it said somewhere that, uh, that church is the place where, where rich Republicans go to, to worship a long-haired socialist hippie. Who gave away? Uh, who encouraged everyone to give away all their possessions and gave free health care to the poor? <laughs> and so it's you know it's it's always really funny because I mean and it's is you know they made light of of you know of really of the, the Christian religion that way, but it it kind of is accurate almost. You know, I mean, you end up with a uh, like everything that they claim to say, they claim to support. They're they're really doing the opposite there. I mean, you know, if you. If they, because they're, what they're saying is the government shouldn't do it, but they uh, they don't really seem to advocate themselves, uh, you know, in in the case of like you know like doing things for the poor or anything like that. Like it's all about, you know, well people are poor because they choose to be poor and and things like that. That and it, that just doesn't really jive with the the, you know, what they're trying to, you know, when they're trying to say that they're they're following what God wants or what their, you know, their religion says. Mm -hmm. Well, a large portion of why that American exceptionalism idea comes about, this whole idea that the United States is the nation of God's people, mm -hmm. comes from this whole understanding that our world was created by God, and uh, he sent his one and only son down to us. And because of that, 
there is a divine plan and it gives uh, rise to this idea of what's called calvinism this belief that everything is preset mm-hmm. and so it's really really easy if one identifies as being a christian and one idea uh, believes in the kind of calvinistic uh, theology to justify this concept that the poor are poor because they are destined to be poor or mm-hmm. I am successful because I was destined to be successful. The whole idea of responsibility goes out the window. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, and you know, you always have that where it's like you, you want to, if it's, it's kind of like almost like a, a, a psychological survival mechanism. If, if things are going well for you, you want to believe it's because of something you did because you're successful or, uh, or anything. But if things are not going well for you, you know, you want to believe it's someone else's fault. So, that's why you get a lot of a lot of disagreement between the two parties too because if you end up with you know if, like you said with the republicans a lot of republicans are very successful people not all of them but a lot of them are and they're probably the worst about not wanting to help people because they again they think that people are are either they're poor because they're supposed to be or they're poor because they've chosen to be and either way they're not going to help <laughs> and that's just not you know, that's just not a, a good way to look at it, but it's also probably not the best way to look at it, you know, from the other side where where we should just give, you know, where we should have every, everything be a, you know, socialism. That's probably not the best way to handle things either. Yeah, let, let's kind of flip the thing a little bit because we've attacked mm-hmm. republicanism a little while. We're not trying to be biased here. Yeah, let's all. go after the other guys. Yeah, so the Democratic Party, you know, it's the party where everyone is supposed to be focused upon the people. I mean, you trace down the etymology, uh, the power of the people. Mm-hmm. The idea is everyone gets repre- representation. This, of course, conflicts greatly with this idea of republicanism uh, in the basic ideology where you just have the people being represented by very specific people. One is more focused on a hierarchy, still liberties and everything involved yeah. with it but a hierarchy and the other is more so on a we are all given a more equal playing field right yeah so it's it's kind of uh you're you're going for more of like a they're, they're in their case they're going for more of a, an equal equal outcome versus the equal opportunity thing like everyone i mean everyone sure could, should have the equal opportunity but the goal is is to kind of pull up the ones who haven't um, who, for whatever reason, weren't or aren't able to to provide for themselves, which isn't a fundamentally bad thing, uh, you know. Either it may be, I mean, you know, you the you'll get Republicans screaming socialism when this happens, but I, I mean, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of good things that are that are done uh, in you know in in, the, in cases like that. Um, if someone is is legitimately unable to provide for themselves, you know, I mean, who's going to? If the government doesn't and that, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that either that's either uh, it's definitely the right way to do it. But, you know, it, it is uh, it's definitely worth talking about. It invokes a lot of what political scientist and philosopher uh, Thomas Hobbes writes about in his uh, classic work, The Leviathan. In The Leviathan, he describes the function of a government as being uh, a protector of the people and in biblical mythology. The Leviathan is a gigantic sea creature, usually described as a serpent, who once a year echoes a resounding bellow that protects all the creatures of the sea for an entire year. Hobbes 
believes that the government should function in a similar way, wherein the government exists not because that we are an organization of people who are striving for power, but rather we need that because without it, human beings would destroy each other. And we need that sense of regulation. Of course, this whole idea that human beings need regulation is one of the great conflicts that continues to resound so strongly of members of all sorts of political ideologies to sure. this day. Yeah, oh yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I mean, you'll get uh, the argument even from, this isn't part of the two-party system, uh, but you'll get that argument from the Libertarian Party a lot is that people really don't need regulation. Um, you know, that given left to their own devices, humans are fundamentally good and they'll take care of each other. Uh, I mean, actually, uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, Penn Gillette, he's one of the, you know, from the magician duo Penn and Teller, uh, is he's a noted, uh, he's like a pretty famous libertarian, actually. And um, he he says he said that, you know, if what does it mean to you whenever someone says that one out of five people can't afford to put food on the table? And he says, well, that means that four out of five people can help them, uh, which is which is great and possibly true. But um, that, you know, I mean, it's, it's actually really interesting uh, whenever you think about, you know, will they help them if they're not forced to? Because what he's saying is absolutely true. There are probably four out of five people that could help them, but um, so the argument, the, the argument that we're uh, that it really exists between the two sides is, is of course they can, but will they? This idea of helping the those in need is one of the fundamental components of the Democratic Party, and it's also again a source of much contention. Because the Democratic Party is often associated with things such as labor unions. And unionism is something that has had a lot of controversy even to this day. Uh, originally formed to help prevent those capitalists who abuse the system by paying their workers too little money for work in dangerous conditions for long, strenuous hours. Uh, Unions have gone to the point where sometimes they will go and act as a course of force. Again, not all unions are like this. Unions in principle are meant to protect the members from being exploited by those who are managers, those are who are in higher up forms. But sometimes what will happen, uh, and this has happened before in our hometown here of uh, Granite City, is that if a union does not get hired on for a job, they will sometimes actively protest that business that didn't hire them down. Do you know what I'm talking about, Josh? I do, yes. Um, we had a couple of cases here in town, actually, where the uh, luckily, unsuccessfully, the uh, unions basically attempted to just destroy the business. Uh, I mean, they would, you know, I, which I mean, I I understand that, you know, they're they're definitely, what they're doing is well within their rights, but it's probably not the best way to go about things because there's, there, it's not like they were really like there was any kind of goal where they they would get any kind of redress of grievances or anything like that. The problem was done. It was the labor had already been you know had done. The construction was already done on the buildings, and so their their goal was nothing more than just to destroy the business. It wasn't to they weren't picketing to try and get better contracts or anything like that or uh, or better pay or anything. It was just. They were just going out of their way to ruin the the local businesses in town. 
And this type of organization is exactly why so many Republicans act in such an alarmist fashion whenever they see groups organizing and protesting any form of business. They see it not necessarily as these people are executing their free rights for speech. They're seeing it as this person is trying to control the market. This person is trying to shape an economy where there is a monopoly in right. force. Yeah. Well, again, though, the Republicans don't really care if someone someone monopolizes or controls the market as long as it's not the government doing it. Definitely. Uh, and this is all before we even start bringing up the media. This is just focusing solely upon the ideas of the Republican and Democratic parties in a nutshell. Obviously, we could go f far further into these, but neither Josh nor myself are political science majors. We are people who have studied a bit of politics here and there. We definitely feel we're more educated than maybe the layperson, mm -hmm. but there are those who could address this issue in a much more thorough manner, one that could be even more enlightening. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely true. I mean, uh, your background's in education. Mine is in accounting and finance. So, I mean, I do have, at least from the economic perspective, I do have uh, a little bit of expertise, but not not really, uh, not as much as, uh, as, you know, as a political science major would, uh, would or someone with a degree in that field. This being said, it brings to mind an old cynical adage. That is, what is today's conservative, but yesterday's liberal? <laughs> yeah, uh, I can't remember who exactly it was. I hope you, I hope you know. Uh, it said that uh, it, it only take, it takes a really short time for a, for a conservative to become a liberal without changing a single idea. I honestly do not know, but I'm sure we can find it. We'll put it with the Stick links. In the show notes. For, yeah, in the show notes. Uh, but one of the things that's important to keep in mind is when it comes to social media, whether it is the more modern form where we have Facebook, Twitter, um, the random news sites, uh, or if we're talking about um, in the more classical sense, like newspapers, uh, radio programs, in a lot of these cases, you hear the terms liberal and conservative thrown around all over the place as if they're synonyms. Uh, the Republican Party is usually described as being conservatives. The uh, Democratic Party is often described as being liberals. But what do those terms really mean? Liberal, after all, is yeah, associated with ideas of liberty. If I am passionate about a right to do something... I am liberal in that regard. However, mm -hmm. many people act as if liberal means that you are wanting more government, but that's not the case necessarily. Right. I mean, that's kind of the the meme has evolved a little bit. I mean, that's uh, you know, you 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 started with a person who was you know, you started with an idea that meant one thing, and it happens all the time, and then it when people people pick it up hearing it one way, they don't really bother to check the definition. They just learn from kind of context clues, and they end up coming up with a wrong definition of the word. Uh, and then that, um, you know, that spreads just like any other any other idea does. And uh, then you end up with a bunch with people saying that, you know, saying that liberals are are wanting to come and take their guns away. Exactly, and a liberal would actually be someone who is pro uh, 
pro Second Amendment because that's a liberty yeah. to have a gun. However, because of the misappropriation of the term uh, by people who are conservatives, mm-hmm. it, we end up getting this this meme created that uh, misinforms people. Uh, conservatism, on the same hand, we've already kind of touched on liberalism. We're still going to dissect liberalism some more, but we should touch on conservatism a little bit before we get too much farther. You know, conservatism is just the idea of keeping things the same. It is a healthy skepticism. Right, which is, I usually usually go for that. Yeah, the idea of being a conservative is not mutually uh, exclusive from being liberal. Right. Especially if you live in a government... Uh, that is functioning with maximum civil liberties to maintain that you would be conservative, but you'd also be a liberal at the same time. Right. Because yeah, exactly. Cause I mean, cause the two words aren't actually opposites. No. Uh, a lot of times the way people think about it is they think about it in relation to the political spectrum. Right. Usually the political well, spectrum is lined up on a straight line. Mm-hmm. It's very linear. You have, your left, and you have your right. On the left, you have things like communism and socialism. Mm-hmm. On your right, you have things like uh, fascism and monarchism. Mm-hmm. And then you have democracy kind of in the middle. Right. And to the farthest left, you have anarchy. Uh, to the farthest right, you have slavery. Okay. So with this in mind... It is really easy to kind of oversimplify politics because if you identify as a conservative and you're thinking, oh, conservative means on the right, Mm -hmm. then that means everything that fits within your your frame while you're still – you're not so far right that you're into that monarchism. You're still near the democracy. Right, of course. But uh, because you see that that is what conservatism is – you think anything that goes against it is liberalism. Right, and that's not that's not exactly the case. And if you're someone like Rush Limbaugh, who is very prominent uh, as a Republican speaker on, on conservative radio, yeah, uh, a, again, conservative in the layperson sense, not necessarily conservative in the, uh, yeah, the- utmost def- definition. No, there's certainly aspects right. of him that fit within it. I'm not saying that you cannot call him a conservative. I'm just yeah. saying it's more nuanced than what people may want to say. Oh, of course. Yeah, you're gonna, you'd be hard-pressed to find a person who is strictly liberal or strictly conservative. And if, that pers- if you do find that person, he doesn't fit into either party. That being said, uh, with the way Rush Limbaugh approaches the spectrum, is he doesn't think of it necessarily as a straight line. He thinks of it as circular, which makes sense, too, if you think about it. Uh, you go too far in one direction, mm-hmm. it can result in another one of these cases. Of course, there's some flaws with it because how can true anarchy have slavery? It, mm-hmm. it doesn't really work that way. But you can go from communism to a dictatorship. We have yeah. seen that. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the problem, too, when we have these uh, these political spectrum sets where they're trying to overly simplify things. Right. Because it's really easy to come across errors. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best ones or best representations I've seen of it actually comes from this site called the Political Compass. And instead of describing everything as fitting within an actual uh, line, they 
they do it in the grid. So you have your traditional left to right political spectrum uh, going for on your x-axis. Right. Uh, and then on your y-axis, you have uh, communitarianism and liberalism. You can also sometimes see it as like uh, like authoritarianism at the top and liberalism. The whole idea is you have this idea of the central power governing everybody opposed to the individual, while the left and the right deals more so with the ideas of how the government functions. Right. So the individual versus the structure of the state. And this, of course, goes to show, even here, that whenever we're talking about politics, it is so easy to slip into these biases that are not actually representational at all. Because it's so easy, again, growing up with the societies that we have, where we get these certain thought-terminating cliches engendered into us, that whenever we encounter uh, these terminologies, that we just shut off instantly because we associate them. Because even this grid, as much as I like the grid, there's still certain faults to it. To really comprehend the system of politics, you need some type of multidimensional shape. Sure. Because one form of communism is going to be different than another form of communism. One form right. of socialism might be really similar to communism. Communism started out as a form of socialism and it just kind of morphed into its own thing. Yeah. But then another bit of it is going to be completely different. If you go to Europe and you see the socialist democracies, well, that's really different than socialism and that's different from democracies. It's yeah. difficult plotting these all out. And what's interesting too is that it's not just governments that can be difficult to pinpoint on this, this spectrum, but also individual parties, because they can change throughout time. If you take the way the Republican Party was when it was founded in 1854, it was founded by abolitionists mm -hmm. uh, from members of the Free Soilers and some members of the Whigs. Yeah. And they set aside focusing on um, ending slavery here in the United States. It's very different than what we have now because that's very much a left-leaning party. The whole idea of trying to get rid of this classist system. Yeah, and it's yeah. I mean, you the party is has made in in that respect has made like a, a one eighty essentially. Um, you know, they they started out as a party that was trying to help out the lower class, uh, in in this case, or in you know the case of the the class is being oppressed, uh, the slaves of the, in the country. And now they end up, uh, now that they've, they've climbed to the top, they kind of want to hang out there and stay. Likewise, the Democratic Party has also performed a bit of a 180. Though they have been around a little bit longer, they have some moments in their history that are not too nice to say mm -hmm. politely, uh, right. especially following the abolition of slavery a lot of the plantation owners jumped onto the Democratic Party. And the Democratic Party, instead of representing what it kind of represents now, which it tends to mainly cater to the uh, middle class, to lower class people, a lot of times people who are not conforming to um, traditional norms. So a lot of times people who identify with the 
LGBTQA uh, community. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they're going to associate with that. A lot of times when you have people of different ethnicities, yeah. and again, it's not to say there aren't people who identify to any of those things and are also Republican. Sure. But it, the party ideology now is very open to that. Yeah. But considering that at one point in time, this is what the dominant mindset is. This is the uh, the party that was very sympathetic to the Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. It's completely shocking in some ways just to think how much t- time has changed all these things. But so many people, they buy into their political narratives and their ideas are saturated in these outdated convictions. All right, so did you like what you heard? Not like what you heard? Have any ideas for future uh, episodes? Uh, definitely I mean, drop us a line at uh, scoliuminstitute at gmail.com. And uh, you should definitely tweet us at uh, scolium underscore inst. Yes, uh, scolium is spelled S-C-H-O-L-I-U-M. You can also like us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, just The Scolium Institute. Look forward to hearing from you. Have a wonderful day or night.